Your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve. And I want to change that. That's not what the Hebrew says. The translation is not good. Let me read you the literal translation. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I stand before. I will not accept a thing. Now the reason that distinction is important is that we can serve at a great distance. Elisha had a recognition that he was standing before the throne of God. He was intimately in the presence of God. And everything that he did flowed not out of a servant heart, it flowed out of a recognition that he was standing in the presence of God. When we recognize we're standing in the presence of God, our words and our attitude will be much different than if we think we're off on some far distant place and we have an assignment. Okay, I can do this any way I want to do it because they're never going to see whether I do it this way or not. No, no. Elisha knew he was standing in the presence of Almighty God, the God before whom I stand. You're not going to understand this message that I'm going to share with you today. And by the way, my week has been one of the most miserable weeks of my life because of what I'm going to tell you. I hope it has the same influence on you as it has on me. But you have to get clearly in your heart and in your mind the reality that you're not on some far earth with God far away. He's right here. You're in his presence. He's watching what you do. He wants you to know his actual presence. Now, let's read.
Then Naaman and his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I stand before, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Why did he refuse? Because he was standing in the presence of God. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. This Syrian, by not accepting from him what he brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Gehazi, unlike his master, had no sense and no awareness that he was standing in the presence of God. He thought he could slip by on the side and get for himself something he desired. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Oh, everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver, that's 75 pounds worth of silver, and two sets of clothes. By all means, take, take two talents, 150 pounds. He urged Gehazi to accept them and tied them up two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them in the house. He sent the men away and they left. And then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Where have you been? He could have said, what's that sweat running off your head? You've been carrying 150 pounds. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi, I answered. 
But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or men servants or maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. And Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and he was leprous as white as snow. If I go this afternoon over to Target, which I won't do because I'm boycotting, but if I went to Target and I walked in and there I saw a shirt that I liked and I picked the shirt up and I walked out, went to my car I would be arrested for shoplifting. Am I right? But the shirt was there. All I did was take what was there for me. Right? Why should I be arrested for shoplifting? Because there is nothing free. There is a cost to everything. And this illusion is that I can reach out and take whatever I want and there's no cost associated with it. There's cost for everything. My daddy used to say to me, Raymond, there's no free ride. If you don't want to work, no dinner. Either work or you don't eat. That was the rule of my house. And then I began to think about this. And very troubling thoughts came to my mind. I remembered the story going all the way back to Genesis, where Eve stood before that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did the tree of the knowledge of good and evil belong to Eve? No. It belonged to God. And he said, don't touch it. The day you take from this tree, the day you touch this tree, you will die. There was a tree of life and there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil belongs to me. And Eve said, wow, it looks pretty. It looks like I'll gain wisdom by eating it. And after all, don't we all want a good education? Aren't we all committed to learning? And this tree is going to give me learning? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, I'll duck the evil, but I'll take the good. The problem was it didn't belong to Eve. And so Eve reached out her hand and took the fruit and she gave it to Adam and they were shoplifters. They stole from the tree in the garden. They were not allowed to have the fruit. It was God's fruit. But they stole it.
Gehazi thought that he was going to relieve himself of the financial pressure of being a servant of the prophet. He was looking forward and saying, I have a financial opportunity here based on the hard work that we have done today with Naaman. Notice he identified himself as the one who has worked. We have, we have served this man and the prophet has gone much too light on him. So we need to collect from this man, this pagan man, what he's offering. We're just, I'm just making a good financial decision here because I'm going to be able to afford the vineyard I've always wanted and the house I've always wanted. And frankly, I'm a little tired of not getting paid what I think I'm worth working for the prophet. So he saw a great financial opportunity and he reached out his hand and he grabbed it because he had no conscious awareness that he was standing before the prophet Elisha. Even when he was not physically in the presence that he could see, he was still in the spirit standing before the prophet the same as the prophet was standing before God. And I began to think, and then my day began to deteriorate. I've shared this story with you before, but I want to share it again. The Lord sent my wife, Jan, and myself to California to open a new church, we thought. So we went out with a $50,000 commitment of cash to be sent by a man who had contributed that much and more to the church ministry I'd been a part of. I had no reason to think he would not do what he said he would do. And then another family had made a commitment to pay our salary for one year as we opened this new church. So we went out with commitments of almost $100,000 for that first year. We got to California. We rented the house. It was clearly given to us by the Lord. We rented an office for the new church and we began the process of opening that new church. And the telephone rang and the couple that had made a commitment for the $50,000 said, my wife is leaving me and all of our money is being tied up by the legal papers my wife just served me with for a divorce. So I'm not going to be able to give you that $50,000. We hung up and immediately the phone rang and the family that had pledged one year of salary said the Lord came to me last night and said don't give you that one year of salary. I said, well, the Lord didn't tell me that. I was upset. Suddenly we had the rug pulled out. And that began a process of 
stripping us of two houses, our car, all of our savings, all of our retirement. We tried investing in a company that looked very promising And immediately after making the investment in this company, the president of the company was arrested and charged with theft of company funds, and the company folded. It was a financial services company. Uh, he was put in jail later for embezzlement. That drained us out to the last penny. Now, what are we to do? We'd lost everything. And as we ate the store of food that was in the house, and we began to receive the notices that the utilities were going to be cut off in Southern California to have the electricity cut off, meant no air conditioning. Notices on, we were going to be evicted from the house. Everything began to collapse in on us financially. I was spending my days in prayer. I said if I were actually pastoring a church, I would be working eight to ten hours a day, and so I'm going to pray for that eight to ten hours a day. And so I got up early and got on my face in a prayer room, and I stayed there all day, struggling with God over what do we do? And I had such a sense of despair come over me that there was no way out. And I began to see myself in the desperate trauma of running out of food, having no money. We'd sent out fundraising letters. We had called all of the friends that had been so kind in supporting us in previous years of ministry. And every person but one disappeared. As we struggled with this, the weight of it began to crush me. I watched as the food began to totally dwindle in the house with no money to buy more. There was a notice for the repossession of our car. The repo man sat outside every day. In the agony of that complete collapse, I could only envision myself walking out into the desert like Elijah and dying 
I'd never considered dying before in my life, but now I saw it as about the only option that was open for me. Um, the whole journey had been started with the question, is God real? Will God answer? And the answer was given absolutely, and he brought Jan to me as my wife. And now we were at an even more desperate situation. I began to think, how can I get Jan safely back to her family? And had decided that morning that I would call her parents and ask them to buy a, a plane ticket to get Jan to safety. As I considered that, made that decision, I just totally broke. And all I could do was weep, wail, uncontrollably. Jan was frightened by that. She'd never seen me like that. I was always the rock. She'd never seen me cry before because I'm, I'm not a man who cries very easily. She said to me, Ray, why don't you get a bath? I'll run it for you. I said, all right. So she did so. I went up and I got in the bathtub and there were, it's like sliding glass doors frosted on the tub. I closed those. Jan was on the other side, very upset and very concerned. And out of the depths of my soul, The cry came, oh God, and I screamed it. Oh God, I'm going to die. And it's like a window to heaven opened and this audible voice answered. And he said, good, I've been waiting for you to die. And rage just rose up in my heart. And I said, how can you treat me like this? Look what I've done. Look at the sacrifice I've made for you. And he very quietly said back to me that wonderful scripture in Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And I felt something inside of me just collapse. I felt something break. All of the rage was gone. And all I could say to the Lord, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? And he said to me, like I'm speaking to you, he said to me, will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? 
and without even thinking, I said, yes. And it was as though I could hear him turn and begin to leave, and I didn't want him to leave. My whole heart went out to him. I didn't want him to leave me. And I called after him, and I said, is there anything else? And he said, yes, turn the television off. That was a mortal blow to me because my television was the only binky I had. It was my comfort. I'd pray until 5.30 or 6, and then I'd watch television until 2 in the morning. I could barely speak. I was so overcome by the presence of God. I opened the bathroom sliding glass. I said, Jan, did you hear God? She said, no. I said, did you hear me screaming at him? No. I didn't hear anything. I was concerned because it was so quiet. I was finally able to tell her what had happened. Now please understand, we had finished off the night before the last bit of food we had when Jan made tomato soup out of the ketchup. Everything else was gone. We were hungry. Jan joined me and we we prayed together for the rest of that day. About six o'clock that night, our doorbell rang. There was a man standing at the door and he said, I'm embarrassed. He said, this is a very beautiful home, but the Lord told me to bring food to you. Do you need food? I said, oh, yes, we need food. He went to his car and bag after bag after bag of groceries, chicken, steaks. I mean, it was gourmet. And Jan immediately did what she did the best. She began to cook. And we began to celebrate. God had fed us. but we had no money. The doorbell rang again that night. And there was a man at the door, a Christian man that I had met at the mall. And he said, there's an attorney I want you to meet, a Christian attorney. <coughs> Pardon me, I said, I don't need an attorney. He said, no, Jesus said I was to come and take you to see this attorney. I said, okay, let's go. So the next morning we went to this attorney's office. We sat down and he chit-chatted with me a little bit. And then he said to me, pastor, what can I do for you? 
I said, I don't have any idea. Well, why are you here? I don't know. He said I had to come. And he said, do you need money? Yes. He got up and he went over to a, a safe, a large safe. And he took out of it a briefcase. He put it on the desk. And he said, Pastor, I bought these gems, these precious gems, 11 years ago as an investment. I want to liquidate them. I'll give you 15% commission on everything you can sell. I said, sir, I don't know anything about gems. I wouldn't know one from another. He said, don't worry. He opened it up and he showed me they were all in baggies. The carat weight was marked for each baggie. The price list was there. I walked out of that office that day with a quarter of a million dollars in gems on a handshake with a man I'd never met before. Took them home. We poured them out on the floor in little piles. And we laughed. And we said, Jesus, what are you doing? Put them back in the baggies and examined everything very carefully. The next morning, we watched for the repo man, and he didn't show. We had a little gas, so we headed out of town. And we said, we don't know where to go to sell these. We don't know how to sell them. So we're just going to drive, and Jesus, you steer the car. This is you. We ended up in Barstow, California. And there was a big sign beside the highway, gem sale. And there were tables and tents, and so we drove in. And we took our briefcase with the quarter million dollars and we went to the largest tent and we said to the man, we have some gems for sale, are you interested? And he said, absolutely. Come by at the end of the show this evening to the motorhome, he showed us where it was. We walked around all day terrified, carrying a quarter of a million dollars in a briefcase. We went to the man afterward he began to lay out and he began to sort the gems and finally had a big pile of gems he wanted to buy. He paid $50,000 cash that night. The next day we took the man's stones back to him that hadn't sold and he paid us a 15% commission on $50,000. We paid off everything. And then the Lord said to us, now go back to Washington. That's where I called you. Problem was, when we paid off everything, there was no money left. So we went to the U-Haul people and everyone was moving out of California. They wanted $3,000 to rent 
a trailer for the car and a U-Haul truck. Well, we had saved out several large stones, a beautiful 17-carat sapphire that was incredibly beautiful. And we'd taken them to Leeds Jewelry Store in Palm Springs, and we'd put them on consignment. And now we were in the prayer closet day and night asking Jesus to please sell those few gems we'd put on consignment. The Lord said, pack the house. So we packed the house and we lived out of a suitcase for 30 days. And right on time, the Lord sold those gems on consignment in La Jolla. A jeweler from La Jolla bought them. And it was just enough money to pay our current expenses and to pay the rental truck to move to Washington. And of course, we arrived in Washington with nothing. Now, I've shared this story with you because as I reviewed this story, the Lord began to say to me, did you bring the food? No, Lord, I did not. Did you bring the gems? No, Lord, I did not. And then he began to delve deeper. I'm going to be off the air on the July 4 week because there's no producer available at the radio station. So Brother Ed has put together a combination of sermons and and old broadcasts that will air that week. So I immediately said to myself, I have that week free. You know, I think I'm going to make a trip to Ohio that week. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're going to reach your hand out and take a trip. I said, no, Lord. I'm not going to reach out and take a trip. Now, if you begin to get a hold of what I'm saying to you, what is it that you've been reaching out and taking in your hand that the Holy Spirit did not intend for you to have, he did not give to you? What friendships, what relationships, what stuff, what entertainment? What are you reaching out and taking in your hand because you want it? without considering the price that must be paid because there's nothing free. Oh, you think, I can take this and I can pay for this. Sorry, it's not your money. The money belongs to Jesus. Is there a problem with taking a trip? Absolutely no. Not if the Lord sends me. But what if I send me? What if I reach out and take from my tree of the knowledge of good because I think it'd be fun or I think I'd like to do that 
it would be a wonderful experience. What if I begin in every area of my life to say, I will only receive from the Lord's hand what he chooses to give me, and I'm not going to reach out and grab the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ever again. It's done. That goes against everything in my heart as an American. I'm an American, I'm exceptional. I can take what I have. And one woman even said to me in total opposition to this, she said, Pastor, reach up and grab off God's table what you want. I said, are you kidding me? He'll kill me. That's theft. We don't have the right to just reach out and grab what we want and spend the resources that we have the way we want. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. Now, as I began to look at this, there is a very clear issue. If like Gehazi, I think that I operate under my own strength and my own power, and I'm responsible for my life, then I'm going to say, sucker, grab what you can grab and run. But if I stand in the presence of Almighty God, if I stand literally before the God of heaven, I can't just grab what I want. Gehazi could reach out and he could grab that silver. He could grab those clothes because he saw that as his future. Do you see the tree of knowledge as your future? What is your future? Now I see... God bringing to me and it takes discernment in the spirit to know is God bringing this to me or am I grabbing it that takes practice we're going to make mistakes but I see God bringing to me incredible gifts I didn't reach out and grab any one of you and yet you're here. Why are you here? I can tell you because God convicted your heart and he sent you. You're here because of God. I don't think any of you showed up because I'm so handsome. Come on. You're not here because I'm some great speaker. I'm nobody. You came because of Jesus. You came because there was something in your heart that was drawn by the word of God. Now, what if in every area of your life, you no longer reached out and tried to grab anyone or anything, but instead ask the question, is God giving this to me? Or am I grabbing this on my own? And then obviously you're going to have to take some time to pray through 
and ask the Lord, did the Lord bring this person into my life or did I reach out and grab them? Is the Lord bringing this business opportunity into my life or am I reaching out and grabbing it because like Gehazi, I don't see myself as standing before God and I'm in charge and I can do what I want to do. Thank you very much. No, I can't. Well, if I don't reach out and take what I want, if I don't take care of me, who's going to take care of me? Jesus? I mean, see, is this, is this walk with Jesus Christ real or is it just an addition to an already full life? Is your commitment to Jesus to stand in his presence, to stand before him? Do you physically see yourself in the throne room of God, standing before the throne of God? Do you picture yourself there in your inner spirit, recognizing that you only have the authority that is granted to you by God? And everybody else that grabs and growls will one day be charged with theft from God. The devil stole from God. He stole Adam and Eve. He stole the human race. And Jesus had to come and buy us back. And it cost him his life. He paid the price. Every one of us have a price to pay for this life. And either we lay our life down for Jesus Christ and receive freely from his hand all that he would give us, or we're going to go out and make our own illicit relationships we're going to go out and grab and growl in the world and secure our financial future for ourselves, or we're going to watch as God miraculously brings business deals to us that couldn't have come to us by any other means other than the hand of God. Can I say something that some of you are going to about turn over on because you've never heard me say this before? God wants you to be rich. He hates poverty. But if he can't trust you with the money, he will never put it in your hands. Why does God want you to be rich? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ requires money. The care for the poor requires money. The building of the body of Christ is expensive. If you have nothing, how do you give something? The word says every man have a job and work so that you have something to give to somebody else. Now when I say rich, I don't mean billionaire or even millionaire. I mean being able to live successfully without the pressure of money 
so that you have the opportunity to be in the prayer closet. You have the opportunity to reach out and help others. You have the opportunity to give. I think the greatest grace of the Christian life is to give. To give love, to give rebuke, to give guidance, to give food and shelter, to give. Jesus came to give, not to get. So I've come to a place in my life where I'm not going after money. I'm going after Jesus. I'm going after Jesus. And he wants me to be rich in every way. Rich in all the graces of God. Rich in all of the graces of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. The ability to reach out and touch the lives of other people because God wants them. But to walk in that way, we're going to have to walk like Elisha walked and recognize that we stand before God. Positionally, we stand before God. I know I've just begun to deal with the deeper issues of Gehazi in my own life. Leprosy is a sign of uncleanness. And uncleanness comes on a man or woman who goes after their own deal. Uncleanness comes on a man or woman who lusts after darkness. And I know the Lord is dealing with me so carefully in every area of my day and my life to say, will you receive from my hand only that which I give to you? And I said, yes. And today I say yes. So I'm monitoring my life very carefully to see if in any area I'm being. I don't want to be grabbing, I want to be giving. If I'm grabbing, I'm trying to control. I want Jesus to control. I'm not the man. Jesus is the man. So 
You're going to have to work with this. Let the Holy Spirit deepen it in your heart. And identify those things which you're still reaching out and grabbing for. And I ask you, please, would you make with the Lord the same vow that I've made? Will you say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I'll only receive from your hand that which you give to me? Lord Jesus, we exhaust ourselves running after the devil's fishing lure. Lord, I pray today that you will give us the courage to not walk in Gehazi's steps, reaching out, grabbing, taking what we think we want for our own enjoyment and our own well-being. But I pray, Lord, you'll give us the courage to say, Lord, I will receive only from your hand what you choose to give me. Lord, I pray you'll deepen this in our hearts. I, I need it deepened in my heart. Thank you, Lord. I worship and praise you, Jesus. I love you. You are my Lord and my master, and I stand before your throne with my brothers and sisters. Lord, this National Prayer Chapel stands before your throne. And we as a church will only receive what you choose to give us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.